0: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking with Kathy Lisa Schneider, who is the author of Police Power and Race Riots, Urban Unrest in Paris and New York, published this year by Penn Press. I hope that you enjoy this interview that I did with Kathy. Welcome back to the podcast. Again today I have the real pleasure to talk with Kathy Lisa Schneider, who is the author of Police Power and Race Riots, Urban Unrest in Paris and New York. Kathy, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. And before we get to this um, very timely and very interesting book, maybe you can tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you are now, where you've been, uh, anything about yourself that you'd like to share.
1: Um, I'm at American University. I've been here for 21 years. um, And I've been doing work on urban poverty, urban social movements, police, uh, and security forces violence. Uh, since the 80s, when I did um, neighborhood organizing in Santiago, Chile,
0: it's um, I mean, your background in this book, um, you know, is is so relevant to to so much of what's in the news today. Um, we talked a little before we started about that timeliness, and I want to go back to that. But before we get to that, I, I want to just talk about sort of the book itself and and some of the choices you made. You you made these choices before any of this really happened, so. You know, as as the title of the book suggests, you studied Paris and New York. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you could just sort of start by by talking about uh, why they are worthy of comparison. Um, what what drew you to these two settings, and we can talk about sort of the the meat of the book itself.
1: Okay, so the irony of the book uh, when you look at today is that the reason the book looked at riots was because I started the research looking at police violence. What I was interested in Um, was coming out of New York where I had been an Aaron Diamond fellow doing research on neighborhood organizing against drug abuse and AIDS and where we had a lot of problems with police harassment of our clients and where police violence and racial profiling was an endemic problem and then I wanted to compare it to Paris and I was interested to see whether police behaved the same way in poor minority communities in Paris and was actually surprised to find that they did Um, and in fact they were more open about uh, doing racial profiling. And so that was my interest. Why do police forces in such different countries, contexts, different police structures, different immigrant communities, different minority communities behave in such similar ways? And it was during that field research that the neighborhoods where I had been working exploded. And so I became interested in why did police violence trigger riots throughout Paris when they had done so in New York in the 60s and not since. And so I started looking at why did riots in New York and, in fact, across the United States explode in response overwhelmingly to police violence in the 60s and why did we have this decline in riots when police violence actually was increasing in the 90s when they had been doing neighborhood organizing in New York and continued to be an endemic problem. So that is the logic of the comparison.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's a, I think it's a question that so many people have, have been have been struggling with and, and I think some of the answers you offer are just so interesting. Before we get to some of those, you know, the, the details of these two cases, mm-hmm. I just want to talk a little bit about some of the terminology uh, that, that you use. One of the terms they use one of the phrases is boundary activation right um, I wonder if you can um, kind of define that and, and, and what that what that term means in the context of your analysis
1: okay, so boundary activation is a term really coined by Charles Tilley, and he looks at it is when social relationships between two groups um, grow so polarized that all um, that social interaction storytelling friendship connections are on one side of the boundary and that there is nothing but hostile interactions across the boundary and Tilly notes that activated boundaries are present in almost every case of collective violence and that's true from the cases of war to inter-ethnic riots in Asia and I argued that, in fact, in uh, cities we see activated boundaries between minority communities and police minority communities and local authorities and when we see really activated boundaries is when we're more likely to see riots.
0: Yeah, and let's, let's talk about sort of a time period where uh, these boundaries were activated. Um, my hometown of New York City Features prominently in much of the book. What if you could tell us a bit about the 1960s, and maybe compare those to the you know these the late 1980s and early 1990s? Uh, what what make up? I think it's I don't know if it's chapter one or chapter mm-hmm. two of the book. So what happened in New York during these two time periods?
1: So New York experienced, like many northern and western cities, a mass uh, migration into the cities in the 50s. Um, So we had had several riots already in New York, much smaller than, for instance, riots in Chicago. Um, And they all had emerged around issues of police violence. And the police had um, occupied areas of concentrated poverty where blacks and Puerto Ricans lived. And blacks and Puerto Ricans began to arrive in the cities really in the 20s. Um, You start getting a larger migration. But in the 50s, you get a huge um, mass migration. And because of redlining, because of um, housing authority rules, because of rent gouging, because of highway construction and urban renewal, what you get is people concentrated in particular areas and the construction of ghettos and those ghettos are ghettos because people have um, very little ability to move outside of them Um, in some areas like Harlem you have intense overcrowding in other areas like the Bronx you get um, highways crisscrossing neighborhoods and you break up neighborhoods and so you have areas of arson and abandonment but in either case these are areas of both concentrated poverty where um, whites in the Harlem case whites had not lived um, from, white exodus happened much earlier, but in South Bronx, you have a, a massive migration to the suburbs as white ethnic families are getting, taking advantage of GI Bill and GI loans to buy houses in the suburbs.
0: And so this is sort of, this is the context of the city during this time period. Right. Um, but 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 as we move towards right. the, the late 1960s, uh, we have sort of the change between these sort of conditions uh, and, and and dramatic events. Right. So what were a couple of the, the important ones for us to understand in the late 1960s? There's lots, unfortunately, that right. happened. Right, What's one or two that are illustrative of what was happening in New York?
1: Okay, so the key events I look at in the 1960s is the 1964 um riot which is the first riot of the 1960s it's not the largest but it's the initiator and it occurs when police kill a 15 year old high school student who had been outside the high school with his friends and had been sprayed with a hose by the janitor and the kids had run after the janitor and a police officer arrived and killed the child and the students started gathered around the police officer, um, you know, screaming in pain and taunting the the police officer, go ahead, you know, kill another nigger. And the police, police reinforcements arrived, the crowd was dispersed, the families went down to the police station asking to speak to the police chief and the police rushed the crowd and the neighborhood exploded and the riots spread to uh, other black neighborhoods in the city like bed Stuyverson and lasted for about 6 days once the city was calm riots exploded in Nyack, New York, Plainsfield, New Jersey, Rochester, New York, Newark, New Jersey, and then you began to get riots erupt in Watts and spread in California and you had little local centers where riots would erupt and then they would spread to nearby cities and that was crisscrossed the country for about a decade.
0: And and continues in many ways at least in New York, um, Mm -hmm. though not continually, up through the 1980s and 1990s, but, but things have changed, and and you sort of you document mm-hmm. you know, about three decades. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. exactly three decades, but about three decades of of peaceful protests in New York in the face of right. continued police brutality. So the pol- police issues don't go away, right. but the nature of the response changes. So what has changed to to explain this?
1: Okay, so then I look at the second right. I- which was the 1967 riot which occurs after Mayor Lindsay is elected and a number of things start happening in New York largely in response to the Kerner Commission report in which Mayor Lindsay was Vice Chair of the Kerner Commission, um, Ker- Lindsay's own sense of how police should interact with communities and great society programs that provided cities with funds um, to do outreach to communities. So one of the things they dis- they thought was that neighborhoods that explode, the problems in those neighborhoods don't start with the triggering incident. There is a problem with the relationship between police and communities that is poisonous. There's a problem with the relationship between local government and the community. And so Lindsay believed that his police force should reflect his own principles and values and that they should never use deadly force against unarmed people. And he would say his police do not shoot children. But the other thing he did was to do outreach in these communities and hire neighborhood youth as peacekeepers. And so an array of young people in these neighborhoods uh, used city funds and great society funds and um, summer programs that Lindsay started in all of these communities to create community-based groups. And in the initial stage, these groups were radical power groups. They were Young Lords um, and Nation of Islam they were creating all kinds of local power um, organizations for radical ends but even though they disappeared long before they achieved radical ends, most of the activists became community organizers and one of the things they did is create an array of organizations focused on police brutality and Because they had a history of interacting with local government, with the mayor, they began using local channels to address police violence. So every time there is a police killing, local community groups go to the family. And they steer them through the process. And one of the things they do is they say, we have some people on local council who are sympathetic or in Congress. We are going to hold marches. We are going to pursue justice. We are going to hold civil disobedience. We're going to sit down at one police plaza. We are going to demand that the mayor take action. We are going to press. We're going to demand that there's an indictment. We are going to meet with the district attorney. We're going to put protests in front of the district attorney's office. We are going to make sure that justice is occurs in this case and if they don't indict then we are going to press for the federal government to get involved and have a civil rights trial and we have lawyers we're going to do we'll we'll sue the city and we are going to use we have multiple vehicles do not despair we are going to fight this and the city became adept as well so what the city does is settle claims out of court. Um, in the 90s, during Giuliani's um, time in office, when Giuliani would not negotiate and was really um, rude, brutal in his response to families' appeals, um, the city settled out of court $25 million a year. So, the, the combination of the community groups and the city developed a standard Operating repertoire for dealing with police violence. What- it's, it's so
0: interesting thinking about that today, and I, I'd like to go back mm-hmm. to you know, sort of uh, what you're describing. It's you know it's as if you're describing something you know that is literally happening right right now. But I, I want to talk just in the mm-hmm. interest of time also about about Paris mm-hmm. um, because if I follow your argument, um, you suggest that, that many of the conditions um, that that have been in place in New York. Are quite similar to Paris. In fact, maybe right. even a little bit better in Paris. But but the the recent outcomes have been so different. So, how do you explain the rioting in Paris and in, in the 2000s and the relative peace in in other parts uh, of New York, but also even other parts of France?
1: Well. Uh The riots um, spread through most of France. That was really what was quite astonishing about the 2005 riots, that you had 300 or over 300 towns and suburbs in flames for three weeks and they could not stop uh, the eruptions and they had to call a nationwide curfew, something that hadn't been called since the Algerian war. Uh, before they were able to um, calm the the communities, um, so what I looked at in France were the exceptions, um, really impoverished neighborhoods in Marseille, in Marseille that did not explode, um, but. What was different in Paris, and I call Parisian boundaries activated, because what you have in New York are these ways in which community groups can interact with local authorities. But what you had in Paris were bonnes that were segregated from the city, in which community groups were not recognized, because France argues that there is no race in France, and that People only have an individual relationship to the state and they call any group that organizes around issues of racial race, including racial discrimination, um, communitarianism, factionalism. So there's no way in which, um, it's more difficult to create community groups. It, there are communities that have been doing them, including the neighborhood that erupted, but the community groups are weaker, the state is stronger, and the, and the boundary between minorities and the community is stronger. Um, another reason is because the French um, political system is... Um, the political parties decide who to run for office, and so they choose people from across the country. They they constantly vote run whites that are not from the community um, as candidates represent those communities. So the community feels really bereft of representatives in the political arena. They feel um, besieged by the police. They have um, weak community-level organizations. They have no contact with local authorities, and the police don't even answer to local authorities. They answer to the Minister of Interior, and we have had consecutive ministers of interior that have campaigned on security issues using racially coded campaigns against people in Port Bonneleu. So the Minister of Interior is certainly not um, some something any community group has contact with. They also have a very weak um, system of civil justice, so it's very difficult to bring civil suits. Uh, They almost never, again, indict police officers. Police officers are almost never tried. um, If you file a complaint for police brutality, Police consistently retaliate by filing a, um, a claim of resisting arrest, insulting a police officer, rebellion, um, a whole list of charges, all of which will get you jail time. And most cases, defense law- or defense lawyers tell people if they've been beaten by police, do not pursue a complaint because you're more likely to go to jail than the police officer. And so the communities in Paris really feel at least felt in 2005 with a government that was very right-wing, a government that had one election only after a runoff with the leader of a neo-fascist party whose roots were in a Nazi occupation in Vichy France and a um, minister of interior, who um, made his political career out of sounding like he was tough on the Labona. So in the actual case that exploded, it exploded because three young people were chased into an electric grid and then abandoned uh, to their deaths. And the police officer called headquarters and said, we need reinforcements to make sure... They don't get out, and then he said, "Oh, on second thought, their skin isn't worth anything anymore. uh, they're in the electric grid, and the police officers abandoned the site, and the young two of the young three young people were electrocuted uh the local community groups and the mayor tried to keep young people calm in the hours that followed, but that evening the Minister of Interior, Nicolas Sarkozy, who later used the riots to successfully run for president, said there would be no investigation. His police had done nothing wrong. Three days later, police shot a tear gas canister into a mosque in the same neighborhood. Again, Sarkozy apologized for the police officers and France exploded.
0: Yeah, it's been, And you're retelling of some of these incidents that, that... Maybe aren't as widely known. The details of of outside of France are just um, uh, so significant, and you know. Then they also make us think about what's going on um, in the U.S. right now. And we don't have a lot of time. But I, I wonder if you could just um, maybe talk just a little bit of, in in conclusion about about the what your book, how your book helps you think about what's now going on in New York. We're we're recording this a day after the right. York know, Garner decision was issued, and also what's been going on in Ferguson. Right. Are there things that, in writing this book, um, you now pay more attention to, that you could draw the audience to? Um, issues, frames, things that, that you would, would help uh, us make better sense of what's going on.
1: Yes, in fact I've been giving a lot of interviews on that and I've given a number of papers um, uh, comparing Eric Arner and Michael Brown. I've been doing that since the two um, deaths uh, three weeks apart. And I've, I've been arguing that Ferguson is a throwback because Ferguson looks like the communities that exploded in the United States and the U- in the 60s that is a white local government a white police force a white district attorney and local authorities impervious to community demands you have a community that has um, is relatively new, was not a beneficiary of great society programs or programs to help create community groups. Um, you have a community that has no contact at all with favorable representatives that represent them. Three months of unarmed protest, you never had the mayor in the community, you never had the district attorney in the community. This is a community, what I argue is riots occur when all other Paths to justice are blocked. It is riots are a last resort. If there's any vehicle, any possibility, any alternative road to justice, communities pursue it. So, in the New York case, which is at least as tragic, um, we have as a very similar verdict, and we have a similar. Um, situation with a local prosecutor and a grand jury that are drawn from a white community with lots of police families where um, the police position um, is you know, accepted. We have a, a prosec- local prosecutor that did not want a guilty verdict. We have video evidence of what happened, um, but in New York, uh, people have a, a a whole host of standard ways of responding, and I know that many of the families of people killed by police that I interviewed for this book, um, every time they're you know they stay on Facebook with me. Every time there's a police killing, they say. I do what I do. I, I was at the family's immediately last night. That that situation reminded me of the, of what happened to my child. Um, it, it each time it causes me pain again. But I was with that family, and, and they converge. And many of these families had one very big uh, settlements from the family from the court from the courts from the city. Not all of them, but all of them who won settlements created new foundations, mostly focused on helping other families who are victims of police violence. But what all of those families have come to realize and feel very strongly about it, and that's true of most of the community groups like Leader of Coalition Against Police Brutality, is that they're expending an enormous amount of energy just to try and get justice on one single case and they are not um, as successful in 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 stopping police violence. The other thing those community groups did in New York was they were part of the uh, lawsuit that ruled against New York City's use of stop and frisk. They were part of the people who elected Bill de Blasio as mayor who ran on a platform of stopping police abuse. And when Bill de Blasio brought back William Bratton associated with the death of many of their kids. They were already, you know, horrified. And for them, this is really painful to see William Bratton as um, head of the police again. And again, we're having an increase of killings of unarmed youth. And Bill de Blasio promised this would change. And we're waiting for this to change. We're, de Blasio is in contrast to the mayor of Ferguson, is talking about, you know, we're going to have an investigation. The city's going to do its own investigation. The Justice Department's going to do its own investigation. We are going to do something about police violence. So he's making, um, he's talking uh, the way people want, Politicians to talk, not the way the Ferguson mayor talked about his police doing nothing wrong. But we have to see um, actual resolution of this. This is, um, this is very, very painful. It's painful for the family. It's painful to all New Yorkers. It's painful to all people of color who wonder whether their child is going to be safe, whether their child sees a police officer, whether the police officer will protect their child or kill him.
0: Yeah yeah kathy, thank you for the book it's you know it's, as as a New Yorker, as someone who um you know uh, teaches at a at a college that that has lots of future police officers uh, sort of in in their world, it's just I think such an important book and offers such uh interesting perspectives on this and so thank you um Cathy's book again is Police Power and Race Riots: Urban Unrest in Paris and New York, published by uh, uh, pen press this year, available hope that people have the chance to read it. I think it would help um, uh, make sense of uh, the situation. Kathy, thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you very much.